You're listening to Weather Hype, a podcast for casual weather conversation. I'm Min Fun. And I'm Castle Williams. On this week's episode, we're going to touch base again with Hurricane Matthew. Last time, I had the opportunity to talk about some personal perspective from living through the storm and seeing the aftermath of the storm too. But now, Castle and I want to jump into the communication challenges that surrounded the hurricane. So yeah, we're going to kind of dive in with uh, starting to look at some of the emotional appeals that may have come out uh, with Hurricane Matthew, associated with Dr. Rick Nabb's message, as well as Brian Norcross's message and kind of see how we can maybe personalize the impacts more to help people visualize the uh, high waters or the amount of rain or the wind speeds. And then additionally, we'll look at the media coverage of the hurricane, especially the local media coverage and how they use different types of journalistic practices to convey the message and the information to local viewers who are watching uh, TV stations during that time when the hurricane hit. Then we will tell you about our songs of the week. And also we will jump back into our lovely social lives because there's so much to talk about as always <laughs> and you enjoyed that right <laughs> <laughs> well you and i both know that weather hype is coming up next it is you always have to have the last word indeed <laughs> <laughs> you're right i do <laughs> hey! now i'm the reason why you broke up with him and got back together thought i was sunshine but baby i'm bad weather i'm off the doppler in the five-day forecast by the time they hear me i've already pushed the shore back no no i wasn't always like this skies cleared soon as my daylight lit sidewalks dried up no snow emergency i could take you february and turn it into spring Hello, Castle. Hello. How are you? Hello. Hello. I'm in England, apparently, because my home in Georgia is not there. No, I'm kidding. Um, I'm good. <laughs> Obviously, you guys heard about all the fun shenanigans slash, um, you know, pretty bad stuff that happened yeah. with Hurricane Matthew. Yeah, I don't want, I don't mean to make light of it at all because I suffered through it as well and other people definitely a lot worse than I did. I'm back in Greenville, North Carolina now. I drove up a couple of days ago and the water is still at the base of my apartment complex. Wow. Not my apartment unit. I'm dry here in my unit. It, and my unit is at the top of a hill but at the bottom of the hill it, the water is still pretty high we're next to a greenway and they built a greenway to kind of mitigate the effects of flood water uh, along the tar river and so i mean the plan is working you know th- you don't want to have homes really in the greenway areas for running and leisure activities but um, the water got up pretty high and it drowned out a uh, a couple of units in the apartment complex that i live in and the water is still sitting there and has not drained all the way yet so we're hoping it drains pretty quickly because it smells real stink up here oh no yeah, yeah let's just imagine marshmallow but then like sewer as well mixed in and you just have a funky odor <laughs> <laughs> very odorous if you will i'm sure like the warm temperatures aren't helping anything either because it's like i know what happened to autumn we had like really cool weather earlier this week and then all of a sudden boom 85 86 and then i think it's supposed to cool down by the weekend so yeah, we're looking at 40s again so um i'm planning on going camping this weekend for the first time in years and uh about to take in all that fall foliage so i'm really excited but i don't think there's going to be much foliage because it's been so warm and i mean temperature is part of the reason how leaves change but also the amount of sunlight they get and blah 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 mm-hmm. um being so cloudy and rainy and hot is not gonna help with the uh getting the colors to change so I'm, I'm hoping to see some color when i go up to um shenandoah national park this weekend but uh we'll see we'll see our department's also going camping as well 
Where y'all going? Uh, Calhoun National Park in South Carolina. Oh, not... so not Calhoun, Georgia, where you're from? No. Okay. <laughs> Lord. <laughs> Although you could probably camp there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, now is the time to take in some leisure activities. So I highly recommend if you are into nature and you live near an area that you can see leaves changing colors, do that. Go for it because it doesn't last very long and it only comes around once a year. So definitely enjoy all the nature and uh, the beautiful colors. So um, Castle, I guess we're going to talk a little bit about, again, Hurricane Matthew and mm-hmm. some of the communication challenges. You want to start us off on some of those uh, ideas that you have? Sure. I don't know where we should really start. There's so many different uh, things to discuss. Well, I know that Dr. Rick Nabb from the National Hurricane Center, the director mm-hmm. of NHC, he appealed to a lot of viewers at one point. It was kind of unorthodox for him to make a, I mean, he makes videos from the uh, headquarters all the time in Miami, but he made a video plea and had all the uh, Hurricane Center um, employees standing behind him. They took a break and they stopped for a minute to record the video and the video went on the Weather Channel and on other outlets as well. But he was just saying, if you are not evacuated yet and, you know, the storm surge is really deadly, especially for folks in northern Florida and then southern Georgia, then you need to get out of the area, especially if there's a mandatory evacuation. And he made that plea. And that was kind of interesting to see. Yeah, I you, sh- you shared that link with me. I thought it was pretty interesting. I'm sad I didn't get to see the video because apparently it was on Periscope or the link I tried to click on today said it was expired because it was on Periscope. So I'm not sure how they recorded that. But then we also had Brian Norcross do a emotional plea like a day before um so it's kind of interesting to see how closely these emotional appeals came up and that's kind of something i've been talking about in my persuasion communication class is the use of fear appeals and how they can be both good and bad like you don't want to provide so much fear that people just kind of get defensive and start being in denial of the evacuation but you also don't want to like not enough fear where they don't act so it's kind of there's like the sweet spot you want to try and hit so my biggest question is were the fear appeals or the emotional appeals too close together what impact did one have on the other did one cancel out the other or maybe the both of them together led to this kind of overblown idea or overhyping idea of the evacuation maybe one was just enough but two led people into that too much fear zone I don't know. I have lots of questions and I kind of explored that a little in my class this week. So I'm pretty interested to hear what you have to think. Well, yeah, I think before we jump into how they affect each other, let's break them up individually. And with Brian Norcross's, he was saying pretty much the same thing. He said, I'm not hyping it. I'm not over exaggerating. This is not um, whether folks that, you know, people think stereotypically make things sound so much worse than it actually is. He said, I'm not kidding. This is really bad. And I, and you need to get out. Do not assume that you will live. The wording was really strong. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting to, to see him say that because he lived through and forecasted for Hurricane Andrew in 1992. Right. As it tore through Miami and Homestead. So he definitely has the, you know, credentials to be saying stuff like this for sure. And I highly respect him. He's a great, um, great guy and, and he knows exactly what he's talking about. And when he says that, I don't know if normal viewers or the publics, like they understand just how much credibility he really does have. Right. Or if he's just another man on the TV telling them what to do. Yeah. You know, cause we all know how amazing he is, mm-hmm. but do people out there really know like this, this man? saved countless of lives in Miami in 1992. Um, and he's trying to do the same thing again. So breaking that up and then also Dr. Rick Nabb's thing as well. Was it 
effective? Was it not effective? And how do we even gauge how effective those messages were mm -hmm. to people? Because I don't think there's any study that's being done directly about these specific uh, events or mm -hmm. the specific videos. But there obviously is research being done and has been done on emotional appeals. And mm -hmm. you have some more uh, insight about that. Yeah. So there's a lot of different um, models and different theories that go into play when you're talking about fear appeals. And a lot of them recently have started to um, incorporate more emotion. So the interesting thing about fear appeals is they don't always just evoke fear. There are other emotions that come into play like anxiety. So when we talk about fear appeals, we're talking about more than one emotion, but that doesn't always get conveyed when we're talking, when we just say the word fear appeal. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of interesting to think um, in terms of this event from Hurricane Matthew. But something that you just brought up when you were talking about Brian Norcross's message was how he specifically said, like, I'm not overhyping this. This is I'm being extremely serious. And it makes me wonder whether did they write their own speeches? Were these written for them? Like, did yeah. they did they like pretest these like? What, what type of like messaging coaching goes into this or whatnot? Because when, when I think about some of the core tips that I've seen previously, like in health journalism and stuff, is like you try and reduce the amount of negatives you use. Because when you say, I'm not overhyping this, it makes people think that not overhyping puts it in their head like, oh, oh maybe they are overhyping. Because you're specifically mm. saying, like, not overhyping. Um, so it kind of triggers that in their mind to start thinking yeah. about overhyping. So I'm just, I mean, I'm, this is not a criticism towards him. I'm just curious, no, like, no. like, what goes into this? Are they, like, do they have speech writers or... I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, when I when I listened to it for the first time, I remember how I felt about it because I was like, whoa. And then I said, when he used the word, you know, I'm not overhyping, I definitely jumped in my head to the fact that people believe that meteorologists overhype. And then I was like, ooh, so is this a situation where we are overhyping? Mm -hmm. And the concern always for a meteorologist, especially in today's age with everyone being able to talk on social media and, and every outlet that they can, you know, everyone always complains that we're always wrong, we don't know what we're doing, and everything else like that. So when you have an appeal like this where you're really putting all the, all the cards on the table, right? And if you're wrong, then people will point to that and be like, wow, like this guy told us to all evacuate and look, mm -hmm. Northern Florida didn't really get that much damage. Granted, Northern Florida got a lot of storm surge and a lot of wind damage, but people will look back and say, well, not that many people died or blah, blah, blah. And they'll point to this and maybe Dr. Rick Neb's thing as well and say, oh, well, look, these guys were again overhyping when they said they weren't going to overhype. Right. So then is that messaging going to be ineffective next time? Because mm -hmm. people will think about that. Or is it even that impactful to begin with? Are people really going to even remember this? Or is it just going to be another flap in the wind? Yeah, I, I don't know. We'll just ha I think that's one of those things we'll have to stick around and wait and see how impactful it is. Wait for researchers to kind of go out and survey the public or talk with people about like how influential it was. Like, will this make you evacuate next time? Um, all these different questions that we'll have to tie up with additional research and maybe some service assessments and uh, that kind of stuff. And then also you were saying how the messages could if and like impact and affect one another. So do you think that because of one of them, one of the messages reinforce the other message that it could actually have negativity and a negative 
um, repercussions for people watching at home? Yeah, so there's not a lot of research on this. And that's kind of we have to write a proposal every week for kind of like a uh, Mm -hmm. pretend NSF for my class. And so this week, I really wanted to look at the effects of multiple fear messages associated with Hurricane Matthew. So there are some interesting theories out there that show that when someone experiences a fear appeal, their fear level uh, shoots up because they are experiencing fear. So if they receive another fear message, they may not reach the same fear level because they're currently in the process of trying to reduce the fear they're already under. And so Mm. if there are multiple messages that go back to back, then perhaps Brian Norcross's message went first. So it initiated some fear. And so they're trying to reduce that fear by doing some kind of uh, uh, protective action. But then when Dr. Rick Nabb's message goes out, they're still in the process potentially in reducing that amount of fear. So their level of fear may not shoot back up and they may not do the recommended action because they're still trying to recover from uh, the previous message. Jeez, that's so complicated when you look yeah. at it in terms of just the human mind and what we do when we yeah. hear messaging. Like the, the the fact that you just like recover is mm-hmm. is weird to me. Like there's some kind of trauma to the brain and the way we think, and then we have to go back and 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 process everything, and then ch- turn that into action. But then if you hit a person with another piece of information, then it shoots back up, and you're like, wow. What do mm-hmm. I do? And then they don't even get a chance to process everything. Yeah, recovery time is a big thing with, um, especially with things like warning fatigue or message fatigue. So like, how long does it take for you like to personally recover before you are susceptible to receiving that messaging again? So it's it's interesting to think about and the, from the standpoint of emotional appeals, because we do it all the time in weather, like when broadcasters get up there, um, kind of like James Spann and tell people to take cover now, like that is an emotional appeal. That is a fear appeal. Mm-hmm. And so uh, especially like our community is full of like trying to get people to take protective action and so therefore fear is an important part of getting people to take protective action it's just using that as a key tool not overusing it and making sure you provide a protective action for people to reduce their fear because if you don't then they're going to go into like a denial phase where they start uh, refusing information they stop seeking it instead of trying to reduce their fear by taking an action they're reducing their fear by bottling down the emotion and trying to get rid of the feeling well and then i guess in terms of uh this type of emotional plea uh we have a third example from our lovely fox uh anchor shep yes. smith shepherd smith <laughs> was that actually aired live on tv because i for some reason i feel like that video it circulated so. on social media but then i wasn't sure if that ever actually aired like straight up on network uh cable i love how uh the express mail in uh the uk calls him like a weatherman he's not a weatherman he's yeah. just a news guy but uh <laughs> which is weird like why did you have him up there talking about the weather in general then if he's not there's janice dean and there's, i don't know um rick the uh, meteorologist guy so i don't know why you have a non-weather person for a major network station talking about the weather and freaking everybody out like you're going to die and so will your kids yeah <laughs> that's effective <laughs> too much fear know. that is a perfect example of too much fear and i don't even know if he provided any type of protective action i didn't really watch it clear enough or uh, uh close based enough. on what i saw no it was yeah, you need so, to get out or you will die <laughs> yeah so getting out that's not very uh specific or giving them any type of steps to go towards to kind of alleviate that fear so yeah shooting right through the roof this is kind of one of those nightmares that we have to deal with when people say stuff like that and then you're like oh nobody died and then you're like oh cool but at least they get to blame fox news <laughs> 
<laughs> Sorry. <laughs> wow. Way to show that. your political leaning there. Hey, hey, no. I, I grew up watching Fox <laughs> News in my household. Just okay, kidding. I had enough of Fox News. And then in addition to Shepard Smith talking about that, you have an example from uh, Brad Panovich from mm-hmm. uh, TV station. And he talks about, you know, how you can use personal communication methods to communicate the effects of, you know, say Hurricane Matthew. Yeah, and I really enjoyed his article. It was basically um, kind of breaking down the forecast, telling people that we did an excellent job of forecasting the impacts. It was just kind of in the not even the delivery of the impacts, but almost like what was considered important in all the broadcasts. And a lot of it was, which I found really interesting, was the broadcast meteorologist being on camera talking about the impacts and what's going to happen. And then they cut away to the governor and how he talked about the incoming weather. And it was just interesting to see that kind of perspective because I don't watch enough television, like local television, to know that the governor actually talked about the weather instead of having uh, an expert or someone there to relay the information to the public. So I, I don't know. Have you seen like governors talk about the weather before? Yes. Um, I mean, you remember Governor Deal in Georgia when he talked about the uh, snowpocalypse. He talked about the weather in that situation. Yeah, but I don't know if it's the same per se. I don't know. When I watched um, Governor Pat McCrory in, in North Carolina talk about the weather and the Stafford Simpson scale, he went on the Weather Channel and talked about that. They they um, mm. did a phone interview with him, and I was actually sitting in my living room watching that, and I tweeted about it, and I agreed with where he was coming from, but I don't agree with the solutions that he has for this specifically. Yes, there the issue of the Stafford Simpson scale focusing on wind, and it uses focus on storm surge too, mm-hmm. but only on wind is problematic because a lot of folks don't get the seriousness of storm surge or yeah. rainfall of water in general. tropical yeah water in general so then you have the issue of people not really getting the 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 threat of what's really going to happen in north carolina the forecast was always going to be a lot of rain and the storm was always going to go near north carolina again irregardless of the whole loop back to florida kind of thing that people really focused on yeah um it was always going to impact North Carolina. You know, Wilmington and coastal areas like, you know, um, Carteret County and whatnot, they're always in the cone. And the people knew, the forecasters always said Hurricane Matthew was going to get there and get close to there. The eastern parts of North Carolina that got really flooded, Raleigh and points eastward, uh, Rocky Mount, Kinston, Greenville, uh, Fayetteville, Goldsboro, and all those areas that are near me, they had forecasted 10 to 15 inches of rain. And that's exactly what happened. But people didn't really, I don't know, maybe because here in 1999, Hurricane Floyd hit and mm-hmm. that was really traumatic for them. And it caused a lot of devastating flooding in some places like Kinston, I believe the flooding this time around was even worse than from Hurricane Floyd. And a lot of people were saying after the fact that Matthew came in and submerged them in, in feet of water, they said, I can't believe this is happening again. I thought that Hurricane Floyd was a one time thing and we weren't going to get flooded again. Then we come back 17 years later and we have the same thing and it's crazy and uh, it might be that optimism bias you know that people are like oh it won't nothing bad will happen we'll get some right. rain but it, it can't be worse than hurricane floyd is probably what they were thinking like there's no way it'll be that bad it was 
that bad and even worse in some situations some communities so there's a lot of challenges that comes with trying to convey that heavy rainfall event stuff and you know the governor had a point yeah but i don't think that it's going to translate into we're going to have a chart where it shows you a category one will produce this wind speed this storm surge this amount of rain because every single tropical system is different you can't possibly put everything into a nice neat little table and graphic and say here you go push that information out what we can do better maybe and i think they did pretty well from what i know from the national weather service and talking to their local emergency management partners and partners in general they conveyed the threat of heavy rainfall Mm -hmm. Um, where that information that message got lost is beyond me i'm not really sure but i do know that one emergency manager in one county in eastern eastern north carolina got really angry and said they didn't forecast this those spaghetti models were going in a different direction we had no idea this was coming I'm really curious who he talked to because from where I stood, I saw the communication was always that North Carolina was going to get some pretty bad impacts. Is it flooding a little bit more than we thought it would? Yeah. Is it flooding a lot more than we thought it would? Maybe. But, you know, I don't think anyone can say and anybody in in the field of emergency management can say that there was no warning about this unless something bad happened along the way in that communication and conveyance of the threat. I'm curious to know from the National Weather Service or the weather partners of that specific emergency manager, like what they have to say in response to what he said. But I mean, I think we have to also like take into consideration, like what was even happening before Matthew even got here? Like all that rain that fell in September in North Carolina, it's just like, it's setting you up for disaster. Like that even before Matthew was here, we had like Hermine and Julia, like all these different things came in. And Nicole, yeah. Yeah, they dumped so much rain like in the previous month that adding on to Matthew is just going to be like insanity. So then I wonder what could have even been different. Would they have even evacuated eastern North Carolina because of the threat of heavy rainfall? You know what I mean? Like what would they have done right. to these specific communities? Because these are really sm- like not all of them, but a lot of them are small, you know, communities that don't have that much um, resources to move people. You know, like I said in Savannah when I was there, we had the capacity to bus people out of the city and evacuate them. Some of these towns don't have that capability to do that. And would you call for all the stuff to happen? just out of precaution or would you just wait for it to happen and then air rescue people out of the city you know um yeah we saw it in florida in in louisiana earlier this year Mm -hmm. we saw it in houston earlier this year um west virginia earlier this year so these things keep on happening and heavy rainfall yeah is a little bit harder to predict what could happen you know based on like the watershed of north carolina and how rivers and streams dump into other rivers and streams or how they're all connected um, that definitely plays a huge role in what areas get flooded and you can tell later on when the water you know, starts at one part of the river and it flows down you know downstream to evacuate those people because you know the water is coming but in places like lumberton where the rain and everything ponded so quickly and, and, and the water levels went so high and people had to get rescued from their homes. If you would have told them, hey, we need to evacuate because of the threat of rainfall, do you, do you think that would be effective? I don't, I don't think it would be. No, so that is a conundrum. We know that what could happen, we'll let it happen and then we'll save people. Is that okay? And oh, yeah, man, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's, I think it's insane I think the- to think about. I think the best thing we can do is convey, like, this is a very rain-intensive event. There is already so much rain in the water table. Like, there's almost, like, the water is so high from all the previous storms we've had this year. 
your threat for flood is a lot higher or a lot more likely to occur than previously told or previously discussed. So maybe you should consider leaving or I don't think there should be like a mandatory evacuation or anything, but I think we just have to do the best we can and convey the impacts that this stuff isn't just on the coast. Just the coastal counties are not going to see impacts from the storm. It's, it's going to affect people inland as well. So I don't know. It's, it's super difficult. And then, you know, I think local broadcasters did a good job in conveying that threat to people in North Carolina, especially, you know, I have a friend um, up here in Candace, she does the weather at um in Greenville. And, you know, I know she was definitely conveying the threat that it was going to be a lot of heavy rain. They have different ways of conveying like, okay, here's a heavy rain threat. And the wind threat is low or medium or whatever. And they have graphics that they can put on TV to make things look really good. But again, it doesn't necessarily matter how they communicate it, but how people take that information in. That is also a very impactful thing, which shameless plug. I wrote a blog post on the weather social. Plug. With, uh, Josh uh, each is publishing it for me as well. But we'll link that to you and you can check it out in terms of when people communicate information um, and how that can differ how they communicate it and then and as we've been talking this whole entire podcast but then also the receiver and the person who gets the message at the end of the uh at the end of the way what they're doing what their demographic situation is so many things impact how a message is taken in and then decisions are made based on that message so that's really interesting stuff Well, now that we talked about some of the communication challenges that we saw from Hurricane Matthew, you brought up a lot of media coverage. So what do you want to talk about with that? Yeah. So in watching local news coverage, I'm kind of a news buff anyway. I've always loved journalism and, and watching how different TV stations report stuff. Uh, and I used to work on a TV station in Savannah. And what we always do is kind of compare the competition and see how they communicate uh, information and how like in the situation of Hurricane Matthew, you have one big event. How does each TV TV station cover it and cover it differently and, and are they effective in the way that they do it so one tv station in savannah decided to have kind of like a traffic mobile and we've seen this all before uh cnn has their blizzard mobile mm-hmm. when they drive around new york city during snowmageddon and you have the weather channel driving around during uh, severe weather season to show you uh tornadoes or the fact that they're chasing tornadoes or whatnot so this local TV station was going around during, like, in the middle of Hurricane Matthew and after Hurricane Matthew, like, immediately after, showing you, like, oh, here's a tree down here and there's ponding on the roadway there and you can't go here and go- can't go there. I hate that kind of stuff so much. <laughs> I'm not going to, I'm not going to try to hide the fact that I think it's straight up dumb in a way. Uh, not all the things they do are dumb. Like, if the Weather Channel, they're out chasing, you know, storms and they're in between driving to locations, like videotaping and, and doing a live cut-in or a live uh, live shot, that's fine. You're not putting anybody in danger and, and they're not driving. But when you have the CNN Blizzard Mobile driving around in New York, when you tell people, hey, stay off the street, don't go out, it's dangerous, and you have a vehicle that's driving around and they look pretty safe, you're giving them a message that it's okay to go out. Same thing in Savannah. If you're driving around showing people all the damage and everything and blah, 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 well, their car is not an armored crazy like tank, you know, it's just, it's a vehicle. And if you can drive that vehicle around 
what is stopping somebody else from saying, oh, well, if they can do it, so can I. And I try to convey that to somebody, the person who was actually in the vehicle. He's a forecaster for a TV station. And he was out, you know, on the camera, like talking to the anchors, like, yeah, I'm, I'm on this street. I'm on that street. And here's this and here's that. And I, I tweeted at him because, you know, what else do you do when you're trying to get someone's attention? And I tweeted at him and said, hey, I try to be nice. Maybe I came across as being a douche, but I try to be nice and say, hey, maybe consider not doing this type of coverage because you're giving people mixed messaging you know understand what you're trying to do but it could lead to dangerous situations and he said you know while i understand where you're coming from we have information that other people don't and we need to use that information to be safe but then get information out to people and i said okay well i appreciate you for responding to me because that takes a lot of you know effort for someone Mm -hmm. to respond to that and i appreciate that a lot but you know that didn't change anything maybe he thought about it a little bit but i don't think he did and so you know i really want to understand i i understand why it's for rating and and it's cool to drive around and show damage like you're the only tv station going out live showing all the damage on the street and blah 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 um and people are going to tune in but not only are you putting the reporter at risk and they know their risk too like they know it's dangerous but your people can copycat you and copy what you're doing and then go out on the street too and that kind of stuff i'm not cool with and i don't like seeing that trend of people putting themselves out there in in tv just to show you what's going on because we all get it you know when we wake up we'll see trees everywhere we'll see water on the road we get it and unless you're showing it to somebody on the other side of the country or other side of the world i think everybody locally is going to understand that it's pretty bad and i don't think you need to have someone driving around to show that and that goes into the idea of uh, reporters standing out on the beach with you know water and waves hitting them and stuff like that but when people do that are you sending people a mixed message and saying, okay, I'm safe here, and I'm standing here in the city that you all evacuated from, but I'm here, and I'm watching the water come up to my feet, and storm surge, and the wind's hitting me. It's a journalistic norm now for people to do that as coverage, and yeah, these stations have an obligation to keep people informed, but after a while, where did the line get drawn, and when do people mm-hmm. stop doing that kind of stuff that is dangerous for them? Yeah, this is kind of a sore spot for me, because I really hate weather as entertainment, so like, I'm all about looking at how people are preparing for the storm how they are like taking in the messaging how they're understanding what's going on once they make their decision on whether to in this case evacuate or not i'm out like i don't watch it anymore it just seems like it's like you said it's sending mixed messages and i actually wrote down something that we saw nwa that reminded me of this and actually made a note and i said our broadcasters slash media sending mixed messages how does threat perception change when live shots are shown Does this change when an individual's in the shot versus not in the shot? So these are great questions to be asking. But I think another question to go beyond that is what is the relationship between management, the meteorologists, and the reporters? Because I'm sure it differs at every single station and how that kind of climate or community works together and how important they deem that live shot to be. Last week, we talked about ethnographic research, and I think that would be a really cool project is to sit in on some type of television station and see how the relationships work, how our interpersonal versus like business relationships go together to both kind of hinder live shots, but also like force people to go out into those dangerous situations. I might get a lot of hate for saying this right now, but I'm going to say it. I think there are a lot of egos in TV. I think there's a lot of ways that people do things that if someone is to criticize them, they'll be like, they'll shrug it off and be like, oh, whatever, you know, and yeah, my credentials, I haven't worked in TV for that long, but based on what I've seen and how I experienced and and taken everything, it'll take a lot for 
you to change the culture of what they do. And mm-hmm. you can't just say, stop doing live shots on the beach or stop oh, yeah, driving through sure. the street because they have a way of doing things and they're not going to change. And the way that things are nowadays, um, it's difficult to justify telling someone to do that when, you know, their value in the TV audience is dropping. Their revenues are dropping. Their, their amount of money they're bringing is dropping and they can, they have to do whatever they can to get viewers to watch, you know? I mean, for the Weather Channel, I love the Weather Channel, but this is a fact that during disasters, they get more money because mm-hmm. people are tuning in. They know that and they've, they've recognized that and this is not new information, but in these events, you know, like they have to do as much as they can. TV stations like in Savannah, there's one TV station that isn't doing as well rating wise. They took this opportunity to pump in a bunch of resources, bringing a bunch of people to make their coverage superior in hopes that people will change TV stations and watch their station as opposed to the main station in town. I don't have to be a journalist to know that. I can recognize that and how journalism works. I don't know what we can do, but I think if we can have partners in news and media to understand where our concerns are, and that mm-hmm. starts with those local meteorologists and those TV stations, I think we can start um, changing the culture of how things are communicated on news and not having to put people in dangerous, risky situations, you know, have somebody mm-hmm. at the station recognize and then voice their concern and then maybe things can change but until that happens until our connection to local tv stations and and large tv stations in general if those connections aren't doing their part then the, the chain is broken and the communication line is not there So we have been asking you guys to submit questions to our podcast and, you know, whatever question you have about me, about Castle, about weather, society, social science and, you know, societal impacts, anything you want to ask. And we got a cool question from somebody uh, via email and um, I'll paraphrase. I don't want to read it out loud uh, or read it verbatim. But the question asks, how do Castle and I, how do we work together on a podcast or on a project and communicate with one another? Because Castle and I are pretty much besties. So we have a friendship that we've you know, been fostering for years and years. But then when we have a project like this podcast, how does that affect our friendship? And you know, how do we differentiate between friend time and work time um so that was really cool to get that question right yeah it was i think it's something we kind of talk about a lot but we don't always like specifically vocalize to other people so it's good that someone kind of realized that that this is something that we might deal with or have to communicate about and they're wanting to know some advice so what kind of advice do you have (laughs) i don't know what advice do you have (laughs) i don't know well i think yeah you you hit a good point that we don't specifically explicitly say oh this is how i get along with you or you know Mm -hmm. um but it's something that we've had to deal with and in that question when when we got it it made me think about what do i do to ensure that my friendship with you is still there obviously and then to make the podcast successful. So communication for sure is is exen- yep. especially essential when you're dealing with this kind of stuff. Castle and I were friends for years before we did the podcast. And, you know, was it always that I felt comfortable saying stuff to Castle? No. But as our friendship developed and we understood each other more, we recognized that it was really important for us to talk to each other if things were bothering us or things were, you know, not how we thought they should be. 
And as, as soon as we would vocalize that, we could talk about it. Does that mean that when we vocalize the issue that we talked about and everything was fine? Not necessarily. There'd be times where I, I'll bring up something or he'll bring up something and we'll chat about it. We might disagree with it. And our, you know, things might not end immediately, but after a while we come back to it and say, okay, let's readdress the issue and then we resolve it and then we move on. And it's not always perfect, but if you are doing a project with somebody that is near and dear to your heart, um, <laughs> I don't know if that sounded weird. Um, but <laughs> yeah. if you do do a project with somebody that really means a lot to you, then you have to really make sure that you talk to them. Same thing with anything in life. If mm-hmm. you know, you have to be able to talk to somebody and let them know how you feel. If you don't feel comfortable doing that, then I think that's where you have to start questioning if you really want to pursue what you're trying to do. Because if something bad were to happen and you don't feel comfortable saying something about it, it's just going to unravel right in front of you. No matter how well it starts off, something bad will happen. It's inevitable. And uh, you have to be willing to make sure that you can solve the issue by communication and then subsequently whatever else it takes to uh, adjust the issue. Yeah, I mean, you hear this all the time, but relationships are like hard work, like you have to put in the time in order to have a successful relationship. So just like any other relationship, this is both a friendship and a working relationship. So we have to ensure that we're communicating with one another. We're honest, we're being truthful, we bring up points that may kind of irk us, but we bring it up and we settle it. Um, But I think another good thing that we brought up during our discussion with this individual was also to set aside time that is just like friendship time, like friend fun time. Um, We do so many like different projects together that, I mean, I'm probably the worst at it. I'm always like, man, I have this idea and we got to do this and this is next and this (laughs) is next. And it's just, it's just like, that's just how I think. Like I'm always thinking about different things that we can do. And men has to always bring me back. Sometimes it's like, okay, we need to take a break from the podcast right now and just be in the moment. And so, I mean, that's, you have to have that kind of balance between your actual friendship and your working relationship. Balance is key. And, you know, you say it so nicely. I do the same thing to you too. I'm like, ah, stuff. But you really have to make sure that you take care of yourself. Self-care is really important. And doing other things besides just work, you know. Talking to my advisor today, we were talking about what I would do after I graduate. And I said, I really want to go travel, travel the world before I get a job, hopefully. And those things are really important. So you have to know what's important to you and what's important to the person you're working with. And then um, make sure that you understand the priorities of each person and then how they work and how they function. You don't have to know everything. It's a learning process. I didn't know everything about Castle the first time I met him. But, you know, we get to know each other more and then we work on that. And through disagreements or, you know, solutions that we come up with, we get to know each other more and then we know how uh, the other person ticks and then things just start working out. Is that to say that our friendship is perfect right now and things are perfect right now? No. Are we going to encounter more problems in the future? Definitely. I'm, I'm looking forward to, to, you know, coming up with uh, those, those future issues and, and solving them too. But that's just the way life is. On that note, Castle, what's new with your life? You uh, celebrated your birthday last week. I did. It was last Wednesday, uh, the 12th. I swear, I always thought your birthday was the 13th. No. I, I thought, you, I was like, there's something up. There, there's something weird because i like mentally blocked it off for the 13th and i was like wait a minute it's 12 it's the 12th yep. of october yep yep, yep. lord did you have fun uh, i really don't like birthdays so i try like i don't like attention at all so i like to 
fly under the radar and not tell anyone. And I usually hide it from my Facebook so that I don't get a million fake notifications because there's nothing more that I hate than fake Facebook messages from people that I haven't seen or will not see in forever. No, see, I see it differently. I see no matter who wishes you happy birthday on your birthday on Facebook, the fact that they went out of their way to do it means that they care for you in some way. No matter how long it's been since they've talked to you, it still means something because, you know, they could easily not say something. And not to say that folks who don't wish you happy birthday on Facebook don't like you. Mm -hmm. But you physically have to type in. There's not a button that says, I'm going to wish all my Facebook friends a happy birthday automatically every day. They went in and and did it. Even if they typed happy birthday or HBD (laughs) on your your wall, they still put an effort, you know? And and I I appreciate all that stuff. I don't think it's fake necessarily. Do I catch myself writing happy birthday to people that I don't really care for too much on Facebook? Yeah, I do sometimes, but... I went through the effort, right? So that counts for something. But yeah, so anyway, I just try to <laughs> ignore. So go ahead, whatever. I just, I just kind of like to just get the day over with. And once it's over with, I usually try and plan every single minute of that day so I don't have to think about anything or like worry about people wishing me happy birthday. And I don't, I just don't like attention and people like, oh, it's your special day. And I'm like, no, it's just like every other that day. That was me telling like, you, it's your special day, Castle. I wish yeah, I was here to celebrate your special like, day. And you probably rolled your eyes like, yep. you don't know me at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just like, it's just like every other day. Let's just get through it and get it over with. No, you should not say get it over with like every other day. You shouldn't ever live a day like get over it. <laughs> well, I don't like my birthday, so I like it to be over as quick as possible. Ew. Other days are fine. What about holidays? I don't like... Okay, so Christmas is kind of iffy. So when I go over to like my aunt and uncle's house, we go like in order of age, like people open gifts. So we all like stare at each other while we open gifts. And I hate that. Like I cannot stand... Because I'm not good at reacting to gifts. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, thank you. Yeah, like, because not... you have to pretend if you know someone is really into yeah. the whole... You have to like, oh my God, thank you so much for this... Yeah, I'm not good at that. ...box of... <laughs> Turds. I don't know. <laughs> Thank you for these Ferrero Rochers that I'm never going to eat. Yay. I don't know. Yeah, I feel you. It's too much pressure. It is. And it, like that shouldn't be pressure. It's like family and you're supposed to be fun. And it's, but then I feel bad because I really love watching other people's expressions. Like when I go, th- when I go through and pick out the perfect gift and it's like, I know this person's going to enjoy this so much. And I can't wait to see their face when they open it. And so I feel kind of like, oxymoronic kind of that i want to see other people's faces but i hate making the faces myself so this reminds me of an episode of arthur (laughs) but (laughs) of course it does well it was the episode where um i don't okay if you guys don't watch arthur the the aardvark the cartoon then you'll you'll be lost about anything i'm talking about but if you do which is a decent amount of you guys who are in my generation age group francine buys prunella a doll that she um really wanted and Francine worked really hard for it and really wanted to see Prunella's expression when she opened the doll uh, for her birthday party. And Prunella's like, oh, I already got one of these dolls Aww. and throws it away. And Francine's like devastated because she worked so hard for it. So I'm just imagining you sitting there as somebody opens a gift and they just like, oh, thanks. And you're just like heartbroken because yeah. you really want to see how happy they are. I just, I'm really weird. My face like gets really, it hurts a lot after <laughs> Christmas Day. Because I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> oh thank my you. Gosh. And I'm like... My face hurts. I can't smile no more. (laughs) (laughs) Well, enough about me. What have you been up to? 
no, just hurricane stuff. <laughs> no biggie. <laughs> no biggie. Just going living through a hurricane. Well, I um had the chance to meet up with a few more people. Well, people that I've already known, but they all were coming to Savannah for the um, International Association of Emergency Managers Conference. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I got to meet up with some folks, and that was fun. And then I uh, got to reconnect with some of my family members I haven't seen in a while back at home. Um, And yeah, just doing that kind of stuff. Now I'm back in school. We are in midterm season, so now I have to <laughs> study for midterms pretty soon. And uh, we're a week behind. Mm. So that's affected a lot. Um, including like intramural sports. Now they have to delay intramural. They don't know what they're doing about that yet. So you could just imagine how many things are impacted by school closing mm-hmm. and just getting back to it. I mean, and not to say that it's really important when you look at the grand scheme, like people have their homes and livelihoods gone. So it could be a lot worse for me, but um, just uh, hanging in there and hopefully going to go camping this weekend, like I said, and enjoying some of the fall foliage once we get that cold weather coming. Nice. Yes. So, yo, Castle Williams, what is your song of the week? We haven't, we didn't do that last time, so we gonna, we're not going to do two time. songs, just one. Sorry about that. That's was my fault. I was getting really uh, all like, sad and stuff. No, I think it was good. It just it kind of showed the importance of that episode and how like heartfelt and personal it was that we didn't we didn't want to take away from it by doing song of the week. Somebody told me that it sounded like I was going to cry. <laughs> oh well, I mean, it was kind of an emotional experience. So who, ca- I, who cares? I feel like I was going to cry. Who I'm cares? glad I. Oh no, no, they didn't say it in a bad way. They just said you could really tell. Oh, okay. um, that's your good. Was like, do I get an Oscar? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean that wasn't acting. That was for real, y'all. Okay, go ahead. Anyway, so my song, song of the week. my song of the week is "Alarm" by Anne Marie or Annie Marie. I don't know if it's Anne Marie or Annie Marie. Anne Marie Calendar. Mm. Anyway, it starts off. <laughs> <laughs> mm. <laughs> so it starts off with like this kind of a lot of like kind of like the uh, the transition music that we use in this podcast. That's called like what's it called like bit chip oh yeah yeah chip tune chip tune -tune. yeah so i was like oh this is kind of like our podcast song since i heard it um but it's really good i like it i've never heard of Anne marie calendar well (laughs) just in spotify it just says Anne marie it doesn't say her last name i'm kidding i'm kidding it's not calendar i'm just thinking of the pot pies chicken pot pies that i like to eat yeah what the song's about what triggering the alarms in your head when you're dealing with somebody that you like and you're like oh everyone's telling me not to pursue this person but i'm still doing it and all these alarms are triggering but i'm still going for it and then you get your heart broken yay yeah i didn't read that much into it i was just like the song you never do but sometimes you do (laughs) and i always wanted to figure out what songs you listen to the lyrics of and what songs you don't so anywho's yeah what's your song of the week uh so my song of the week is by major laser and Showtech, and it's called believer and I don't know who does the vocals of the song, but I really like it. Um, it has like an island feel to it. And the song kind of, again, reminds me of techno mm. back in the mid 2000s. ish. So it seems like we're we kind of go back and forth between the types of electronic music that become popular. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of components to it. And I was like, this sounds really techno like from back in the days when I was like in middle school with my CD player jamming to whatever music I jammed to back then. Um 
but it's upbeat and I was playing it nonstop when I went for a run today. So yes, I, I dig it and I can dance to it and sing to it and run to it. I'm peachy. I need to listen to it. I haven't heard it. Yeah, I think that pretty much wraps it up. That yeah, was a I think that was good. Great job, Castle. Great job. You too. I, am I supposed to compliment you? <laughs> you don't have to. I mean, that's part of uh, making sure your friendship works. Okay. Okay. Whoa. Okay. You can find us in a variety of places, including facebook.com slash weatherhype and weatherhypepodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter at weatherhype, both words, weather and hype, or you can send us an email, kind of like the listener email we had previously at uh, weatherhype at gmail.com. We love when you leave a review, so feel free to rate us on iTunes or your favorite Google uh, Android app. And also, um, you can leave us a uh, comment, too, to let us know how we're doing. And if, if we're not on a podcast app that you currently use, then let us know, and we will get on it stat. So until next time. Until next time. Stay hyped. Stay hyped. You're listening to Weather Hype, a podcast for. <laughs> Wait, what is it? I got like in the. We've done this uh, so many casual, times. Come on, casual weather 16, bro. I just always say, "Welcome to Weather Hype." I never say a podcast for casual weather conversation. No, we definitely rotate. <laughs>